Welcome to another episode of mine. Um, I have a pretty exciting episode because it's a brand new kind of like topic for me. Um, hopefully, y'all get some insight out of it. I hear I have a good friend of mine, uh, Jesse, who I met at ECR. Um, seems like every one of my guests now have been like people I know, but um, hopefully to expand that. So yeah, Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So um, yeah, Jesse, why don't you just give a brief kind of like introduction yourself, um, you know, like educational experience, like previous experience and uh, what you do now and kind of like why you do what you do. Sure. So uh, I grew up in Fontana, California, which is in the Inland Empire, just east of L.A. Uh, So I grew up there. And for college, I went to UC Riverside with you, Owen. That's where we met. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually went into college as a business economics major, wanting Mm -hmm. to get into the healthcare field. Interesting. Um, But yeah, but as you know, I kind of started exploring what I wanted to do and meeting people and um, just excited things happening in space at that time. I got inspired to get involved with space exploration. So I changed my major to environmental science just to kind of inch my way towards STEM and, you know, space exploration. I was thinking maybe I could be like a planetary scientist. Um, But then after that, I switched my major again to environmental engineering just to get more in the engineering side of things. Um, I graduated in 2017 with an environmental engineering degree at UC Riverside. Uh, and then after college, I was fortunate enough to get a full-time position at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, which is a NASA facility. And since then, I've been working on uh, Mars missions mainly. So when I first started, I was working on um, a mission called OCO3, Orbiting Carbon Observatory, which was an instrument on the International Space Station. Then after that, I worked on the InSight mission to Mars, which landed on Mars in 2018. And then, and then um, after that, I went to Mars 2020, which is what I'm doing now. And uh, we, yeah, we're about to land on Mars in a few days. <laughs> so that's kind of my my spiel yeah. on my background. Cool. And yeah, um, what made you like? I guess I probably touched on it a little bit, but um, what made you so interested in like space exploration? I know a lot of people are in. I remember when I was a kid, I was, um, you know, just like interested in space and like planets and stuff. Like astronomy was probably one of my favorite classes. Um, mm-hmm. But what made you like so kind of like invested in space, um, like exploration and I guess research? Was there a specific, just to add on, was there a specific moment at UCR that made you want to like do space exploration? Like this is what I want to like do. If you want to just like talk through that a little Let's bit. See. Sure. Um, You know, it's funny, actually, that it kind of comes, it's funny how things come full circle. Um, I think a big push that uh, made me go in the, you know, to space exploration and get me interested in that was the landing of the Curiosity rover in 2012. Mm -hmm. That was actually like three days before our college orientation, you know, where we go and finalize our major and choose our classes and all that. it was actually really pivotal now that I think about it because um, that rover landing on Mars was, uh, was extraordinary. Uh, uh, sorry, extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first landing to utilize the sky crane maneuver, which is this very 
complex um, process where you go from the edge of Mars' atmosphere to landing safely on Mars in about seven minutes. Um, and it's, you know, very precise, very complex. And to be honest, I didn't really know about that mission before that landing. You know, I just remember getting up and learning about it, seeing it in the news. And I was like, what? And I was looking into it and it looked really, really cool. And it was pretty local, right? It was in Pasadena, only about an hour away from where I lived. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised that this was the first I was hearing about it um, because I had always, like you, had interest in space, right? Me and my dad would always talk about space and the possibilities out there. You know, are we alone? Things like that, right? Um, having grown up in SoCal, I, I wouldn't get the prettiest night skies. You know, we wouldn't get uh, a lot of stars out in the sky, but I would still always look up and, you know, be interested in it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that landing in 2012 got me interested in space, or at least it reignited that in me. Cool. And I vouched to um, to get a class in, uh, I guess, astronomy. So a class called the Origins. Um, so I needed an elective class, right? I'm there choosing my classes during college orientation. And I'm flipping through the electives and I see this class called the Origins. I'm like, what's that? Uh-huh. It's a physics class. You know, what is that? And they said, oh, it's a brand new class. Um, you know, it's about, I think it's about space and where we come from and things like that. So I was like, okay, sign me up, you know? So I signed up for that class. It was the first time it was being offered. Um, long story short, that class was an amazing class. The professor for that class helped me get my internship, uh, my first internship at JPL, which in turn got me another internship and then which in turn got me a full-time position. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a really, really good chance that if I didn't take that class, um, then I wouldn't have gone down the path that I have today. Yeah. Um, so that landing in 2012 was was pretty pivotal. And now I work with some of those people that helped with that landing, uh, which is great. Um, and then, you know, just as college went on, uh, we had a lot of awesome things going on in, in space exploration, not only in the science side of the house. So, you know, um, discoveries through telescopes and things like that, but also in terms of engineering. So, you know, like SpaceX and Blue Origin, these companies developing like rocket technologies. Uh, so it's just been, you know, in a really exciting few years and that just helped me get more interested in space exploration. For sure. Yeah, I know it's pretty, um, all the exciting things not really um, known to like, I guess the general public in terms of like space, like obviously we hear like people like Elon Musk or SpaceX and people know what like NASA is, but I guess they don't really know, you know what I'm saying? Like deep diving into like what their specific like projects are. Like we hear yeah. like, kind of like mainstream news, like, Oh, um, I don't know. NASA's see something in the moon and they don't really go into detail about it. Or I guess like when big things happen, like I guess all of us probably remember when, you know, Elon Musk um, fly that rocket over like the United States and everyone's like, what the heck is that? Is that like an alien kind of thing? <laughs> so, oh, I yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember calls from my cousin. Uh-huh. She was basically calling me. She's like, Jesse, what is that? What is that? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I explained it was a SpaceX rocket. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I'm assuming like everyone who thinks of spacey thinks just things like extraterrestrial, but I mean, <laughs> there's more like, <laughs> involved into it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And it's funny because UFO stands for unidentified flying object, right? Uh huh. So if something's flying and you can't identify it, then it's a UFO. 
that's that <laughs> that actually the direction, right? So yeah, I actually yeah, that's something that. I actually you know learned today because um um yeah when most people associate UFOs they just think of aliens and flying saucers right but um now yeah. that you mentioned that I mean it's pretty interesting so <laughs> next time I use the I use the term UFO pretty carefully then. <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what it stands for, right? Yeah, for sure. But so, a lot of lately. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying there's a lot of exciting stuff mm-hmm. um, going on in space exploration. And, you know, we need more cool engineers to help enable all this exploration. Definitely. So. Yeah. And um, cool. So I guess, you know, just moving along, um, I know you mentioned JPL, and I know that it's associated with like NASA, and I did some research and heard it's um, get some funding from Caltech. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, so NASA and like kind of like Caltech is kind of like the main associations with JPL. But if you can like dive deeply into like um, how JPL is sort of like different from what the main headquarters of like NASA does, if you can just like dive in. JPL is a bit different than uh, most of the other NASA facilities because we're actually managed by Caltech. Um, so technically I'm an employee of Caltech who's doing like NASA work. Mm-hmm. Um, and JPO is a federally funded research and development center. Um, so, you know, we're, yeah, we're focused on research and development, but doing NASA projects, um, but still managed by Caltech. And it's cool that we have that close affiliation with Caltech. Um, you know, there's actually some programs where uh, JPLers can kind of collaborate with Caltech professors and uh, things like that. And we have Caltech professors on uh, some of our space missions as well. Um, so, yeah, that's how JPL is kind of unique in its own way, that we are an FFRDC. Um, and also that means uh, because, you know, uh, we are entitled as such. Uh, when the government shuts down, JPL actually still keeps working um, because we're not directly directly affiliated with NASA like some of the other facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are managed by Caltech. So, you know, when the government shuts down, um, Caltech has us and has us keep working for as, as long as we can until the government, you know, comes back up um, because we are an FFRDC. Interesting. Yeah, it's 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 always like you know um interesting to dive into like i guess what your organization is like affiliated with and like what happens if this happens this scenario um like and that it goes for everything from like nonprofits to like government agencies so yeah that was just interesting to like hear um that's like by Caltech yeah. and nasa so yeah kind of like a yeah, it's... dynamic <laughs> yeah it's a ffrdc operated by caltech for nasa <laughs> yeah interesting. yeah <laughs> interesting i guess uh um, but it's structure. but it's cool yeah mm-hmm. you know it's uh we're individual like that and um you know it means we're kind of immune to government shutdowns to an extent right interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah i know that affects government shutdowns affect a lot of um <laughs> organizations out there and i don't remember um, when the last government shutdown was i know there was one recently if you recall um yeah but it was it was yeah, over was over a year ago i believe yeah it was around there yeah yeah so yeah that was interesting to um 
you know, learn about that um, dynamic with Caltech and NASA. Um, so I guess just moving on is, um, what do you think is the most um, exciting part about what you do? I know you touched upon like the Mars rover um, landing mm-hmm. on your mission there. Um, but is there anything, um, I guess, that you can touch upon more of, I guess, like the most exciting part of like what you do at JPL, specifically like what you do? Um, so yeah yeah so it's it's funny because i'm actually i just pivoted to to something new uh still working on the mars 2020 mission what i've been doing for the last couple years is basically basically helping plan and develop these tests where we simulate uh, like we're operating uh the rover yeah Um, almost every day we are looking at data that has come back from the rover and then planning for the next day, like planning what activities the rover will do. Um, and all that happens like throughout the day. And my job was to set up those tests and enable like the operators to go and do their job and test out their processes, their software tools to, you know, look at the data from the rover, make sure everything's okay. And then put together the commands for the rover to do some certain activities the next day. Um, and to me personally, that's just cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, looking at, looking at, you're talking with a spaceship, right? You're, you're talking with the rover. Um, you're not talking in real time because of the distances. Um, it takes time for uh, light from to get from Earth to Mars and vice versa. That's how far they are. Um, it takes a few minutes depending how far they are. Um, so you can't talk in real time for the most part, uh, mm-hmm. or at least we don't for the most part. Um, but to me, it's really exciting to you know get data from the rover know that this data was just on Mars. You just collected these experiments like minutes ago or hours ago, and now you're seeing them, you know, um, for your own eyes uh, yeah. and then putting together the commands to send to the rover. To me, that's really exciting. So for the last couple of years, I was seeing people pretend like we're doing it in order to, you know, flesh out our procedures and our tools. And I helped, you know, set those up. Um, but now I'm actually transitioning to an operator. So I'll be, one of the ones helping command the rover um, and making sure that the commands we send up are safe and healthy and maintain the, the health of the spacecraft. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, to me, that's just exciting personally. And it was fun setting up those tests, those simulations, because it's an interesting mix of getting procedures ready, you know, getting the team ready, but also making sure the spacecraft is ready. A big part of those tests was setting up our mock spacecraft. So we actually use this thing called a test bed, which is, you know, hardware and software. It's a representation of the spacecraft, uh, but on Earth for us to do testing with, right? Because if we're testing a new sequence, a new activity, it's better to test it here on Earth, right? (laughs) With a mock-up of the rover to make sure it's safe and it'll work before sending it to Mars on the actual flight hardware. Um, so it was really fun working with that test bed and setting it up for these tests. I got to learn a lot about the rover as well. Um, so to me, that's, those are the most exciting things about my job. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for that. And, um, I can imagine now that you mentioned it with all these tests, um, I'm not like a project manager, but obviously like, I'm assuming it takes a lot of, you know, planning and detailing between a lot of individuals, um, just a lot of like project management skills, I'm assuming, like how you would, I guess, when product managers are testing out like a product, for example, to like, you know, compare that they have to do a lot of like testing and designing to see if this works or 
Um, right. You know, whether we want this at a certain place or where we think this could go, like, um, we're one, like a kind of like a, what could go wrong with this scenario or, you know, what right. I like. So it's a lot of like idea kind of generating. Is that like the same kind of process as if, you know, you're creating like a product to like the designing of like the Mars rover where it's like, you know, this might pose a problem. This might, you know, I think this will work really well. So it's just a lot, like a lot of like brains and individuals in a space uh, planning this out, I'm assuming, where it's just a lot of communication back and forth. Yeah. So let's see. I, me and you should chat more about, uh, uh -huh. you know, what product uh, management is, because I'm curious about that. And I've been meaning to learn more. Mm -hmm. um, but what I could say about, you know, these missions is, yeah, from a very, very high level, um, at the very beginning, um, right, NASA, uh, they hold this decadal survey, which basically outlines what are our main priorities in terms of like science and space exploration for the next decade, right? And then they lay out missions to meet those like objectives. Um, and the Mars 2020 rover was a product of that, right? We want to explore Mars. We want to look for signs of, of life, of ancient life. Mm -hmm. And um, as part of that, we need to bring them back to Earth, you know, to do some, to really scrutinize those, those samples that we collect. Um, so that's how, you know, Mars 2020 was born at a high level. And then from there, it breaks down, right? Like, okay, what are we really trying to accomplish? Okay, so let's set out our objectives and prioritize them. And, um, you know, so then the Mars 2020 rover mission has four main objectives. Um, now that we have those objectives, you know, how, how do we intend to meet them? So what instrumentation do we need for that? Uh, scientific instrumentation on, you know, this is what we need. We need this type of camera, this type of spectrometer, this type of, uh, you know, hardware. Um, and then around those instruments, what type of hardware do you need to support them, right? So then, okay, well, we're gonna need uh, a power source and this is how much power we're gonna need. Um, we need communications and we need to move around, right? So this is a mobility system we need. Um, so, you know, at a high level, you just start to break down, what is it you really need? What is it that you want and the objectives? Okay. Then what, in, you know, what do you need to meet those objectives? And then what's the hardware around that to support that instrumentation that will meet those objectives. Um, and then thus the Rover is designed. <laughs> that was, you know, that was a process in like 30 seconds. And of course, it's much more complex than that. And it takes years and years to design the rover. Um, but then the rover is designed, right? And it's being built. And then comes time for the mission system to be designed and built. Um, and actually, the mission system has been, you know, designed and, and built all along. Um, but the mission system, which is the people, the processes, you know, the ground tools that help support the operations of the spacecraft, that really starts coming front and center um, as we get closer to actual operations. Um, so like I was saying for the past couple of years, my job was setting up these tests where we uh, simulate operations on Mars, right? Because we need to firm up our procedures. There's a lot that goes into operating the spacecraft. Um, so that whole system, that mission system uh, needs to get, you know, developed and tested. Um, and these tests, yeah, they're, they're actually really fun, uh, mini projects because each of these tests, the development for them, 
from you know the the start of the development to the closeout would be on the order of like a few months, like a couple months mm-hmm. around. Um, and yeah, it's they're all projects. They're all mini projects. So we set out our test objectives. You know, what are our test objectives? What are we trying to meet? Let's prioritize them. What's the scope of the test involved? So what's the scope of our project? You know, what are the risks? What are the concerns? How can we mitigate those concerns? So um, an example would be the dry runs we would do on the test bed. You know, so like I was saying before, the test bed simulates the spacecraft that we're, that we're pretending to operate, right? Um, and in fact, we are actually operating the test bed. It's just that we're pretending the test bed is the actual spacecraft. Um, but it's my job and my team's job who are setting up the test to put that test bed in the correct state so that when the operators come and they act like they're about to operate, you know, the spacecraft, we tell them, hey, so, you know, this is a 100th day on Mars or Sol 100. Um, you know, these are the activities we just did yesterday. These are the images you just got. Now go and do your operations. Well, we need to give them that data, right? And we need to put the spacecraft in that right state. And that's actually really complex because the rover is a complex vehicle. Um, so we would dry run, you know, putting the vehicle in that correct state, um, collecting those images that we would feed to the team to start off the test with, things like that. So a lot of that, you know, procedure development, testing that procedure, testing those commands that we put together. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of testing, a lot of brainstorming with the team, uh, mini project management, right? Putting the project together, getting the test uh, developed and then executing the test. So, you know, letting the operators operate the spacecraft for a few days, um, or actually it would be the test bed, right? Which is what we're pretending the spacecraft is for those tests. Um, And then we close out, which is, you know, we tell the team we're done. We uh, break, break config as we call it on the test bed. So we, you know, we start shutting everything down. We collect all the data. um, And then we report on how successful the test was or not, you know, what could we have done better? um, What went well, and then feed that into the next test. And over the course of the last couple of years, that's what we've been doing. And, you know, till finally uh, we're pretty comfortable with, uh, operating the rover on the surface of Mars in just a few days. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, that sounds like, yeah, a lot of planning, just like a lot of planning. Definitely. You know, I, I'm assuming it's, I, I, I might be, I don't know if I'm like a little bit wrong here, but I think it's a lot more like, I guess, a lot of planning and technicality as opposed to like, I guess, um, you know, planning for a product, but like, not like, um, because like you know the smartphones like iphones and how they mm-hmm. you know, go about the designs of building like here's the chip going uh goes there that kind of thing or just smartphones mm-hmm. in general. like it takes a lot of um a lot of planning yeah and a lot of teamwork and just a lot of communication um but i'm assuming this is um uh, a lot more into it because of just because of the you know technical nature and what you're doing essentially like we're going beyond earth basically <laughs> so right it's like and uh yeah go ahead yeah yeah an interesting intersection i think because we were kind of talking about project management um yeah but i'm not a project manager at all right <laughs> i was just trying to highlight. <laughs> yeah i was just trying to highlight that you know we use a lot of project management principles yeah. right like laying out a schedule and identifying your risks and things like that um 
but a lot of those um, tools um, are used by systems engineers. And system engineering is kind of an interesting discipline um, that I recently found out about, you know, before I uh, got an internship at JPO. I didn't know what it was going into college, but system engineering, I think is pretty interesting in that it's a fun intersection between the technicalities of being an engineer versus like the, um, the project management skills you would have as like a project manager. Yeah. Um, and it's system engineering, essentially what it is, is um, you, you are an engineer at the interfaces of things. You focus on interfaces in a system. You know, so you overlook a system, which is, which is a very, very broad term, right? But your system can be an iPhone or it can be a Mars rover or it can be, you know, a whole project. Um, it, could be, it could be anything, right? An organization. Um, and your job as a system engineer is, you know, to develop that system, test it and, and to build it. Uh, with a focus on identifying, you know, the various subsystems within that system and its interfaces. Um, so that utilizes, you know, not only very technical aspects of the traditional engineer, but also like some project management skills as well. Um, and I think it's a fun, you know, uh, fun intersection to be at as a systems engineer myself. Yeah. And most, most people at JPL are systems engineers just from the type of nature we do. You know, it's very complex, uh, like you were saying. Um, but yeah, most of us are system engineers. And like you were saying, this job where we would um, simulate operations on Mars, where we would set up these tests. Um, yeah, it was pretty fun because not only did I kind of play play some project management, uh, project management in a sense where, you know, we define a schedule and risks and, and the scope of the tests and things like that. Um, but also kind of get down in the weeds and I would be there, you know, on a night shift with the test bed, um, you know, me and a, a fellow test bed buddy kind of watching it and making sure the commands run successfully and learning how the spacecraft operates and things like that. Um, so it's, it's a fun intersection to be at. Yeah. Yeah. It, cool. And yeah, before we get into, I guess, like the main component, what I want to touch on is this last thing is now you mentioned that mainly it's, a lot of people you're working with have a technical background, like just engineering. Um, but is there any, like, I guess kind of diversity in your team where it's like not strictly like engineering or if you could just touch upon that, or is it just like, you know, strictly people that have an engineering background or some form of like, you know, technical degree, or is it like, or there's like few people that don't have like an engineering background but may have some other skills like for example i know we touch on like project management or somebody with like possibly like business degrees or nobody or someone that you know doesn't have like an engineering degree but still contributes um a lot to the mission i don't know if you can just yeah. up that a little bit before we get into the bigger kind of scope of things yeah so we definitely have people of all backgrounds contributing to the mission we need everybody yeah. You know, we need um, business people to lay out our financials, right, um, and keep those in check. We need outreach people. We need education. Um, we need HR, right? We we need uh, administration, and all these people are pretty vital to the project. Um, I don't work directly with a lot of them, unfortunately. I work with you know mostly the engineers. So everybody in my direct circle that I work with, um, in my direct team, 
Uh, we all have an engineering background, but yeah, we definitely, you know, as a project and NASA as an organization, we need not just the engineers, but, um, you know, business oriented people, uh, man management, right? Administration, um, outreach, teachers, uh, edu you know, educators, um, things like that. So, so although I don't work often with them, you know, I really appreciate what they do. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I'm thankful we have them. Otherwise, you know, we, uh, the public wouldn't be as excited as they are for the Mars missions without them. Yeah, exactly. And I know diversity is such a key aspect nowadays um, to, to teams and stuff like that. I was just reading like an yeah. article. I'm just diverting a little, but I mean, I was just reading an article um, saying that why companies should hire like cultural anthropologists, which I thought was pretty, really interesting and what they bring to the scope especially in like global business which i think was pretty interesting so yeah diversity is really key on like everything because you just don't want like the same people um yeah. talking about things because if you bring i and i took a linkedin course um if, if you have like just the same people who have the same degree and the same side of thinking i think you're just going to fall into like sort of like a group think where it's like yeah we agree on this and i know this is like a thing we all agree on because we know that terminology you know what i'm saying right definitely yeah i can't disagree with that and i should highlight too um that e even though you know how should i phrase this N most people um that do operations that i work directly with have a technical background um but it's not necessarily like just a couple majors right like mechanical engineers and aerospace engineers and that's it you know, I'm an environmental engineer <laughs> yes. and I'm still work, working alongside them, right? Uh -huh. There's some computer science people um, who, who work with us, right? Um, along, of course, with the mechanical and aerospace engineers. Um, I, you know, I think a technical background is important for what we do, but uh, further than that, you know, um, you, you could be of value to the team. Like I said, I'm environmental engineering and, um, you know, I'm still able to provide value for my team. Um, but also a lot of, there's a lot of interesting people at JPL to where, even though they have a technical background, that's not the entirety of their background. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, I know a couple people who have an English degree, you know, but ended up getting a technical degree after that. Um, I know someone who was a freelance musician in New York for years before, he decided, you know, decided to get a technical degree and work at JPO. Um, actually, the chief engineer for Mars 2020, uh, Adam Steltzner, you could look him up. He was, um, you know, he was a musician before he was inspired to get into space exploration. He was a quote unquote rock star. And <laughs> he, has a, he has a book out that you could read called The Right Kind of Crazy um, that I've read. And it's, it's a pretty interesting read. Uh, yeah, he was a rock star, you know, before before uh, getting involved in space exploration. And now he's the chief engineer for the Mars 2020 rover. So, so even though, you know, most people that I work directly with are, you know, have technical backgrounds, that's not the entirety of them. Um, there's lots of different backgrounds, skill sets, opinions, world outlooks on our team. And I value that, um, you know, it makes the job that much better and our team that much stronger and better. Um, so, yeah, I think everybody can play a part you know, on space exploration. So Def yeah, definitely. That's a learned lesson for 
you know, just not just space exploration, but everywhere, you know, um, definitely what you're doing. So yeah, thanks for um, sharing that, Jesse. Um, Now to get into like, I guess the bigger scope of things for most people who don't know about like the project or um, just like space exploration in general. um, How is kind of like the mission you're working on or, you know, just exploring space and specifically like Mars? um, How's important for the majority of us here on like planet earth who don't know about like the project what kind of like insights and specifically what you're looking for that could potentially you know help benefit here benefit here us or us here on earth sorry um yeah um like what specifically are you working for and how do you think it's important for us to like to know about for majority of people who don't know because i always love you know just learning about like new things and you know how it could be like beneficial um to me you know yeah yeah so just to kind of give an overview of what this project is this mars 2020 rover right we've been kind of talking about it and people might see it in the news but you know it's like what the heck is it you know why is it going to mars you know (laughs) yeah um so there's four main goals for this mission right so we're sending a rover um to mars to kind of accomplish these four different goals the first one being (laughs) is to determine whether life has ever existed on Mars, uh, mainly microbial life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've seen evidence now that Mars has been habitable in the past for life. So now we want to see if there has been extraterrestrial life. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's a fundamental question for most people, right? Are we alone? Have we been alone? H- have you thought that before, Owen? Yeah, I, I bet. I mean, it's, it's like kind of, you know, it's that's kind of like a thing I mean amongst like, I'm assuming 90% of the world population thinks, or I don't know, I'm right. throwing a number out there, but obviously we see it in movies, like, you know, um, but just like, you know, movie directors and just people in general are curious about the outside world, you know what I'm saying? Like, you take Steven Spielberg's, for example, um, you know, E.T., um, yeah, extra stressful. Like when we were kids, like kids' movies, we were all developed into like some sort of like contact with, uh, you know, the they used to call it like the third kind or just like the extra stressful where it's like, you know, ET. Oh, that'd be cool if you see an alien like that, or you know, something a little bit more <laughs> like stressful, but like Men in Black or just like, yeah, you know, something like Independence Day with Will Smith. Like, what, like, what do these people want, or like, people from the outside <laughs> world? So that's what so I was, I'm, like, wondering, too. Like, obviously, if there's, like, for me personally, like, I definitely think that, obviously, there's extraterrestrial life out there. We can't be, like, the only living species in, like, a vast, like, universe. So it's just, like, you know, pondering the question of what do they want? Because I'm pretty sure they're, you know, watching over us right now. Not to sound a little, like, <laughs> like uh, edgy. That, but... that's, a, that's a conversation for a different day, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that deep. And unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, I don't think the Mars 2020 mission will bring Independence Day. Um, <laughs> mainly, mainly what it's looking for or what it's equipped for is to look for a microbial life, right? Uh-huh. So like what we see in the movies and what we often think about too is like the intelligent life like E.T., right? Um, and, you know, what we see in, in science fiction and all that. Um, but I think looking for a microbial life itself is fundamental as well, right? Like it's, it's life still mm-hmm. right and this is the first uh rover mission that's designed specifically to seek signs of 
past life, microbial life. Um, past rovers have focused on, you know, determining whether Mars was once habitable. Um, and now that we know that to be true, now we're going out and looking for microbial life. You know, and I think whether it's microbial or intelligent, um, extraterrestrial life is just a fundamental wonder, I think, for people, right? So the first goal of this rover is aimed at that fundamental, you know, pondering from most people is, is there extraterrestrial life out there? And the main goal of this rover is to look for signs of microbial life. So, so that's one goal of the rover. <laughs> yeah. that, you know, um, another is characterizing the climate of Mars. So, you know, understanding the, the Martian cycles, the uh, weather cycles, the climate cycles on Mars, um, which in turn, you know, helps us build better models, just better climate models in general, right? It helps um, meteorologists and planetary scientists uh, just, you know, add more data to their repertoire, right? To understand how planets work, including ours. Um, the uh, third goal for this rover is to help characterize the geology of Mars. And by studying the geology of Mars and just planets in general, you help uh, further your understanding of how planets are made and therefore like how Earth would be made. And Mars is kind of cool because it's stuck in time. It's no longer um, geologically active to where its material gets recycled pretty relatively quickly like Earth's does, right? So we learned in, in science class, right, that we have a big mantle within Earth and um, our surface gets recycled and circulated pretty often, uh, relatively, right? Um, Mars doesn't have that that much active uh, plate tectonics going on, that geology. So it's kind of stuck in time, which lets us view, you know, really, really old geology and helps us, you know, get clues into how um, Mars was formed and therefore just how planets were formed, including ours, was formed in general. Mm -hmm. and lastly, the last goal of this mission is to prepare for human exploration. Um, so there's a, there's a couple main experiments, I would say, um, that help get at this on the Mars 1020 rover. One is a helicopter. <laughs> so there's so there's a little <clears throat> drone um, about the size of a shoebox. So it the uh, the main bus of the helicopter, the main part is about the size of a shoebox, but it has these blades that are about four feet long. Um, the rotors to help it fly. Um, that's a technology demonstration, right? To try to perform the first controlled aerial flight on another planet. Um, and if successful, you know, maybe it could aid future, future Martians, future Mars explorers to help with reconnaissance, right? We don't know what's over that ridge, you know, is, is that a cliff or is that, um, you know, what's over there? And it's kind of too, too dangerous to check out ourselves. So let's send this drone over there, right? Um, and this helicopter that we're sending is this first evolution in that. Um, and then also another technology on the rover is an instrument called the MOXIE, uh, which it's, it's, uh, it's a technology demonstration to try to convert the carbon dioxide that's in the Martian atmosphere into oxygen. And if successful, you know, then we could look into scaling that to uh, help humans who are eventually on the surface of Mars. So, yeah, so I think those are, you know, some of the ways that this mission in particular uh, helps people down on earth and, you know, it's contributions directly. 
But um, I think just space exploration in general has lots, lots of contributions, which I could talk to as well. Yeah, I was just one. Yeah, I was just a follow up. I was wondering, I know you mentioned a little bit about climate. Um, and I know here on Earth, there's a big deal about climate change and all that. Is there, is just like, if you can touch upon, if you know any knowledge about maybe studying planets or just climate patterns that, that you mentioned, um, could help us, you know, possibly, this is a long stretch, but like, you know, help us like, you know, learn more about climate change or I don't know if you can talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. So it's not in my area of expertise, unfortunately. I don't think I'd, uh-huh. I'd be able to, to um, directly correlate like what, um, what studying, you know, other, like what directly from studying other planets helps the planetary scientists. Cause I'm not a planetary scientist myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I can say is uh, a couple things actually, one is just that, yeah, we're collecting more data, right? Um, it's kind of impossible to study a Martian climate on Earth because it's not, it's not Mars, right? Like we can't simulate Mars on such a scale as it is on Mars, right? Like you could, you know, in a laboratory, you could fill up a bag with the same components that the atmosphere is made of, but it's hard to mm-hmm. simulate like just the big atmospheric processes that are going on on Mars. Yeah. And so scientists, you know, being able to study that just helps them further understand, again, like how planets work, right, and how the climate works. Um, But that's kind of the depth to my knowledge there. Um, But what I could also say is that just space exploration technologies in general help aid, um, you know, uh, Earth exploration and, you know, in studying climate change. So, for example, that first mission I talked about that I worked on, OCO3, Orbiting Carbon Observatory 3. Um, that's an instrument on the International Space Station whose objective it is to measure carbon dioxide in, in the atmosphere. Um, you know, and it takes space engineers to build and build to design it, to send it to, to space. Um, and it's unique because um, satellites can measure, you know, the atmosphere of Earth um, basically nonstop right, all day, and they orbit Earth, and essentially they could get most of Earth's surface, right, as they orbit, as time goes by, you kind of sweep over um, different areas of the Earth to where you basically swept through most of the Earth, whereas, you know, if we try to measure, um, take measurements on the ground, you know, they're kind of scattered, right, and it's kind of hard to put, like, a measurement station somewhere where it's remote, where there's little people, Right. So you have these scattered, um, you know, ground measurement stations, um, you, know, you know, with varying fidelities. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Um, but if you send a spacecraft to space, you know, it could measure Earth um, more frequently. It could get larger areas. Um, but to do that, you need, you know, space engineers and space technology and rockets, you know, <laughs> space operators. Um, so, you know, that's one way that space exploration helps in climate change it helps provide the data to climate scientists right yeah and as somebody who's me as um yeah before we move on the last two questions um that that's like helpful i guess for a lot of people especially like because i want to get into um learning about geographic information systems so gis so Mm that would be cool just to like have that um insight that 
I can see things that I didn't see before. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As opposed to. And there's actually. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my bad. Just to finish up is because I'm like, where does like Google Maps come from? I'm assuming it's like from technology, like space technologies, right? Where it's like mapping, um, you know, just like roads and stuff and where you like what you see on Google Maps that comes from like. I might be wrong, but like space technologies. So it would just be like helpful to like know about that stuff, you know? Definitely. And I'm trying to, let's see, I'm trying to find the uh, NASA website to where you could basically look at a map, uh, a global map of earth and look at all these different measurements around earth. So like carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, uh, particulates, um, things like that, ozone. Uh, I'm trying to find the website. I, f- I forgot what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I could find it, I'll send it to you. Okay. Oh, and then like you can yeah. share it. Oh, Earth Now. There you go. So oh, I'll definitely share that with this. Yeah. So you could look up like NASA Earth Now. And mm-hmm. it'll take you to a website um, called climate.nasa.gov slash earth dash now. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it right now. And it's actually super cool. So you're seeing... Um, Earth and the spacecraft that are orbiting Earth. And then uh, you could click on like vital signs and it'll show you, like you could overlay um, this different data on top of it. So you could overlay like carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, sea levels, uh, surface air temperatures, surface temperatures, I'm sorry. Um, Ozone, soil moisture, right? So all this data is collected by spacecraft that are supported by NASA, right? And NASA is supporting the collection and distribution of this data. Um, So you just sitting at home, you know, you could pull up uh, in this website and you could see, hey, how does, you know, carbon dioxide look around the world? What are its levels? And you could click on it and then just boom, all of a sudden you get a pretty accurate map of the carbon dioxide distribution around the globe and what you know, what satellites are helping collect that data. So for example, right now I'm looking and I'm seeing the aqua satellite um, orbiting across uh, Africa and I'm looking at earth with a carbon monoxide. Yeah. Click on carbon monoxide. Um, I'm mapping of carbon monoxide around the earth, you know, and I'm pretty sure I've done this before, but you could also look to see how this data changes over time as well. So you could say, how has, carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide changed in the last year, you know, you can do that uh, through the data that NASA helps collect and, and distribute. So, you know, there's, there's some ways that um, just some ways that NASA helps with studying climate change and finding solutions for it. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that'll be helpful because you know, me, I'm, you know, possibly considering and going into that kind of route or researching um, as like kind of like a career path or just like future endeavor where it's like researching about, you know, just climate change and interested to learn about such a topic that is debated <laughs> in our, yeah. in our current realm of politics, which I won't touch upon. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Same. yeah. Because <laughs> so, um, yeah. But the good thing like, is to get, cool is question. to have data, right? The good yeah. thing, no matter what you're discussing is to have data and NASA has tons of it. We're collecting tons of it um, always. So, you know, I urge people to go and just Google like NASA data and you'll find tons of data, tons of resources. Um, 
and I just Googled like climate NASA right now. And I'm, you know, I'm at a webpage that says global climate change. Mm-hmm. So right here I could, you know, explore the, uh, what is climate change, you know, evidence for it, causes, effects of it and solutions, you know? So yeah, there's, there's tons of great info out there. Yeah. And I'll definitely, you know, leave those sort of resources. And if you can send me at the end of this episode that I can like post um, just like a couple, like the earth now and the, the data from the NASA sure. website. So yeah, that'll be yeah. You know, just resources to provide. And I'll definitely be looking at that more often now. Um, so yeah, just to finish up here, uh, Jesse, is there um, last two questions? Is there any um, kind of like new discoveries uh, besides, um, you know, the Mars Rover landing? Um, is there any sort of other projects that maybe are going on specifically in terms of space exploration? Maybe that, jpl is undertaking or that you're just mm-hmm. aware of outside of jpl just like anything um that's going on in space exploration there's probably a ton but ones that yeah. you are aware of <laughs> yeah so what i'm aware of at jpl is called psyche and um it will land or land it will launch um a year or two from now the date is still TBD, I believe, or at least I don't have it, the latest launch date. Um, But it is a spacecraft that's going to an asteroid um, that orbits between Mars and Jupiter. So it orbits the sun between Mars and Jupiter. This asteroid is special because um, it's believed to be all metal. Uh, It's an all metal asteroid uh, of nickel iron core. And I believe it's like the core of an early planet. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we're going to send the spacecraft to that asteroid to study this asteroid um, because it looks to be like an old planetary core, or at least it's made of the same stuff that a planetary core is made of. And therefore it'll help us further understand, you know, how planets are formed, what they're made of, um, and just uh, asteroids in general. Um, That's the main other mission I know about at JPL. We have a few more, but I've just had my head down in this project lately (laughs) in Mars 2020. So, so I can't speak too much uh, more to Psyche um, or some of the other projects at JPL, but there are some exciting stuff at JPL, like a lot of cool um, technologies uh, or like technology demonstrations that are going on. Um, and instead of trying to speak to it with my limited knowledge of them, I would just, you know, urge people to, to look up JPL missions. It's like a quick, easy Google. Um, and then it'll show you all the missions that are going on right now and that are planned coming up for jpl cool yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that sounds like yeah a lot of exciting stuff um and i know i'm gonna be more invested i guess because it's there's a lot of talks about other projects um i don't know how likely but people are talking about like some crazy wild ideas or like interstellar space travel or something but mm. i mean that's like a like that would be crazy like crazy crazy in the future if that like happens if that happens i don't know how likely it is but you know just the idea of like interspace travel so like all these like interesting ideas are just like cool to like ponder about right. you know right i love crazy ideas yeah. <laughs> i mean you that's know what, like it, a lot of if yeah and yeah it um interstellar travel is pretty hard just because of the vast vast distances right yeah exactly and how fast we would need to go to exit uh the sun's gravitational pull 
Um, but if there's any ideas out there on how to do it, and I'm sure there are some, you know, I, I'd want to hear about it. it. I don't know of any right now. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be very, very exciting to do a really dedicated interstellar travel. Yeah, that'd be just like insane to think about. That would literally be sci-fi into life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're thinking like the interstellar movie? <laughs> yeah, just something like that. Where it's like, because I, I know there's, we're talking about crazy inventions, but I mean, um, there's been a lot of crazy inventions in history that have changed the course of history. So, you know, mm. and with the rampant advancement of technology, who knows what we could do? You know what I'm saying? What are your, what are some of your favorites? Favorite inventions? Yeah. Um, that would be, I don't know. That's hard to say, but, um, I've actually bought a book, actually, which I'm probably going to read. I'll get back to you on that. But nice. um, it's called it's by Tim Harford. Um, it's called 50 Inventions That Shape the Modern Economy. And it's a really good book. So I just bought it Perfect. recently and I'm probably going to read. I'll get back to you on that. But yeah, there's been a lot of inventions that are, you know, that have changed the course of history. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was a pretty good, um, you know, really interesting episode. I learned a lot, Jesse, but. Is there any like advice that you would give to people to learn more about uh, space exploration? Um, yeah, if there's just like anything that you can point out to. I know you mentioned those resources, which we'll provide, but um, any mm-hmm. other advice that you would recommend? I think just not being afraid to look and to ask, right? Because yeah. um, there's so much you could easily find now on the internet and so much you could learn, you know? And honestly, a lot of the skills that I learned um, to help me, you know, get this job and be successful at it, at it. Um, you know, I learned on my own and with others. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to, to look for info and to build skills on your own, but also to ask, like, don't be afraid to ask, um, you know, some of the opportunities I've gotten at work is because I asked, right. And it's also because, yeah, you develop skills yourself to, um, show that you'd be a good candidate, you know, for this role or for this opportunity. Um, but ultimately, go out and talk to people, you know, go out and ask for things. And you'd be surprised, you know, what that can get you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And don't be afraid to change directions like I did. Cool. Yeah. I <laughs> like mean, I said, yeah. You know, I, <laughs> like me changing. I changed my major, uh, you know, twice in college. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to change, you know, like, I mean, I did business for four years and obviously I'm getting back into going back to graduate school in business, but, you know, I did education after graduation. Who knows what I would have done that, you know? <laughs> right. And, and other JPLers, like, you know, they had full on careers before JPL, um, you know, professional music, musicians, professional dancers, you know, doing something else at a different company. Um you know, just all different types of backgrounds. Um, but yeah, you know, just find what what kind of drives you, what inspires you and, and go for it, you know? Look look online and learn what you can. Ask people, don't be afraid to approach and ask for opportunities if you think you're prepared. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, that'll get you pretty far. Definitely. Yeah, well, um, thanks for everything, Jesse. And yeah, that officially concludes our episode. Thanks, man. That was fun. Appreciate it.